0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 172, Maybe It's Just Her Time. This week, we're discussing season 2, episode 13 of Battlestar Galactica, Epiphanies, and season 3, episode 11 of Angel, Birthday.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right so b s g Um yeah, so, as the title suggests, we learn a few things, have a few revelations of sorts mm-hmm. I suppose um, in this episode um, and uh yeah're we're, we're at the so this is the where we've been headed since you know basically the opening of the the miniseries, right, with Rosalind's cancer. Right. Like, you know, we knew knew it was going to come. And it's interesting, like, too, because they say, like, you have the flashbacks, and it's, what is it, 169 days or something like that? So we're talking, like, you know, half a year. Like, not that long ago, Mm -hmm. really. But, you know, seems like a lot longer. And certainly, if you were watching it at the time, it's, you know, we're – middle of the second season, so, like, yeah. it's even been longer in real time right. than in showtime. Um, and, uh yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting how, like, it, you don't really think, like, even though they do flash up every now and then, like, day, whatever, like, you don't really think of it then. But now when you see, like, oh, it's been so many days in the past, I don't know, maybe it's just something about, like, seeing it all in one chunk into the past versus like Mm -hmm. just seeing the number sort of increment every time or whatever. I don't know.
1: Right. Right. Well, and seeing footage from a while ago, it's like people, even in that short amount of time, it's like their hair looks different. They look a little different. So it feels like the past. Like it feels. Sure. Even though, I mean, it's even shorter since we've watched it, but like it's even that feels like the distant past, you know, when you have this much, story to get through in that amount of time right.
0: and you know they kind of fuzz up and and mess with sort of the lighting and contrast on the visuals a little bit too so it makes it look right you know like you're looking at older video right or whatever. right um
1: right it has the kind of flashback know. sheen to it you know like
0: right <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah so this is i mean Oddly enough, given that Rosalind is in bed most of the episode, um, it's it's really an episode about her, mm-hmm. either, you know, through the flashbacks or based on the decisions, you know, that she the decision that she makes, mm-hmm. um, and the things that the people around her do, either to try to, you know, adhere to that decision or to go against it. Right. and and kind of uh in that in that respect, you know a lot of this episode is really kind of uh circling around her uh in that way
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so I guess to really start with her, and we'll probably kind of end with her <laughs> mm-hmm. um you know uh should just talk a little bit about her condition. Um, And, like, as I'm saying this, like, I'm realizing, like, hey, this is also how we're going to kind of start Angel, too, right? Right. We're going to talk about sort of her condition and the situation and, um, you know, all of the the sort of medical stuff with her and then kind of discuss where that takes us and and takes the characters. Um, Right. So, you know, Rosalind, obviously we know that she's had... uh, uh, metastatic breast cancer. Um, it's been spreading, uh, you know, Cottle has previously told her that she's sort of okay until it spreads to her brain. And I guess we I don't think we get the official sort of diagnosis that it's spread to her brain, but that seems to be kind of the mm-hmm. implication here that like, or at least that it's spread so much and so far so drastically throughout her body that she's, you know, her body's sort of shutting down. Right. Um, Even though from time to time, she still is able to kind of make presidential proclamations and decisions and whatnot. Right. Um, Right. Which is what she does. (laughs) Uh, Right. So, like, sort of even on her deathbed, she's sort of making decisions about how to, you know, interact Respond to, uh, take care of the Cylon presence, um, and in particular, uh, in regard to Sharon's baby, mm-hmm. um, and so you have like Doc Cottle, sort of, you know, talking about how, uh, in 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 the way that he has of, you know, calling the baby's blood work, you know, damned odd, right, and uh, you know, real a real scientific conclusion right there. technical or, or not, technical
1: term yeah
0: or or not even a conclusion he, he even says it's not conclusive it's just damn dog right and so like you know he's sort of you know acknowledging that he's not like a genetic expert like he is still a doctor who's been doctoring for many years mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know knows what blood's supposed to look like and it don't look like that right right um and so I mean, I guess, you know, thinking about, like, Rosalind sort of on her deathbed, like, on the one hand, she could just say, well, I'll leave it up to you guys to decide if you're willing to take the risk and figure out what this is. But, like, maybe that would be irresponsible, right? Like, maybe it would be seen or felt by her, you know, seen by others or felt by her to be kind of like eschewing her duty as the president if she didn't sort of handle things in a more definitive way. Right. And so it feels like maybe instead of that it's like, oh, let's go the opposite route and just kill it since we don't really know right what's going on with the blood here. Like there there's no she doesn't seem to have a middle ground of like let's let's sort of study it and if we still can't figure it out, then maybe you know, right? Some, but I, I guess I don't. I don't get the. I don't get the reason why. The blood being quote damned odd, like, deserves death. Like sure, you know. I, I. Other than other than simple fear of the unknown, like, and that's really what this comes down to is is fear of other, right? It's it's fear of the unknown right. and and even like what's interesting i think about the killing or the you know ordering of the killing of the you know termination of the pregnancy or whatever you want to call it is you know they don't feel that way like the cylons clearly have different blood like their blood you know Baltar's whole analysis and sort of assumption or or conclusion is that the baby's blood is sort of an amalgamation of Cylon and human blood. Right. The Cylons clearly have much different blood than humans. Like, that's the whole point. So, like, in some respects, the baby is closer to human than the Cylons are, but that seems to be more offensive right. to Roslyn and some of the others. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the Cylons, yes, they're other, but they're sort of a known other. So they're like maybe less other than the baby who, you know, has this sort of new amalgamation of blood. And therefore we don't know how that changes the relationship. And, and that sort of makes it even more scary than, than Sharon who is a Cylon and we know, we know how the Cylons are. So, Like that's almost more okay than, than this other, you know, baby whose blood we don't really quite understand yet.
1: Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking is like, it's the very thing that, that they use it to sort of save the day in the end. Like it's sort of cancer healing, you know, properties, you know, that's like, it does that because it's this, well, it, it, it's human but it's more than it's like human plus it's superhuman in a way it's not it's not an incompatible different thing it's a thing which is like ours but stronger and better and all those things and like yeah that must be like the source of the fear because it's kind of dare i say like an improvement upon the human like the, and that in a way right. is a is a scarier prospect that's actually coming closer to it's getting at the point of, you know, if Cylons adopt the human form in order to sort of try to impersonate or adopt human life, this baby is maybe actually doing that. You know, like, it is something which is, like, truly both Cylon and human, and that's the, the kind of, like, you use the word offensive, which is good and also scary just in the fact of you know, what, what kind of, okay, we know now it has this superhuman, you know, uh, anti-disease abilities, what other abilities might it have? What other, sure. what other abilities might the baby have, you know, in terms of, you know, yeah. I don't know, these kinds of, But I don't know, genetic uh, qualities yeah. or whatever. Um,
0: I mean, but even, even before all that, even in the beginning, like before they know what the... You know that that is a possibility of having you like it it's it's really it's really that unknown right at at all like there's really no like like at least knowing that like okay this blood can cure cancer you know or whatever like mm-hmm. at least put it into remission or whatever like that's at least a data point like that's at least. An anchor to sort of say, okay, we know one thing it can do. Like maybe we can extrapolate a little bit from that. But like at the beginning, they don't know anything. And so it's it's completely that, you know, okay, it might be superhuman in a way, but it also might like be super villain or super, you know, sure, super silent monstrous. Like, yeah, yeah, like like we don't right. And at the end, like. You're right. Like it still could be that as well, but like I feel like it's even different when you know you know absolutely nothing about it, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Rosalind is responding to. It's it's we have no idea
1: right.
0: how these two, you know, genealogies are going to interact and react, and what is going to be created out of them. Right. Um,
1: well, and the- whereas
0: with the Cylons, you you do know you you already had that. And so even though the Cylons are alien or robotic, so it's kind of like, I guess in a way, maybe a genetic equivalent to like um, the uncanny Valley. Right. It's like Cylons look human, but we know they're not. And they have different blood and they, you know, like there's genetic and chemical and whatever difference is, but like, If there's a hybrid, it's, like, that one step closer to actually being human. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that sort of plunges it into the Uncanny Valley. Sort of not physically, because, like, the Cylons look exactly like humans, but but sort of, you know, mentally or philosophically from a genetic perspective, it kind of gives that creepy feeling of, like, almost but not quite, you know, human.
1: Right. Too close for comfort. Yeah. And... So to jump back slightly, you mentioned why, okay, why now? Why not study it further? Why make this decision at this point too? And I I kind of feel like I like the idea of like, you know, Rosalind taking that decision out of the hands of her successors, but also like that also makes more sense when you think like, yeah, her successor is Baltar. And so it's, I think it's, there's, there's a tinge of, I better, if I'm going to do this, I better do this now because, you know, she doesn't trust Baltar to either have the, the, you know, ability to sort of make that decision or just trust him generally in terms of would he do the right thing by the fleet and humanity and everything, you know, like, because she like says like, you know, he's too close to his, you know, subjects, which is kind of similar to I think exactly what Cain said to him too. Um, you know, uh, you know, so kind of, sure. and, and so you kind of, I kind of see Rosalind as trying to think of, you know, what are the important things that if, if, if I feel they need to be done, I need to do them while I can still make this decision rather than leave that to Baltar. That's too important to leave to Baltar. Um,
0: yeah, no. And that's a great point. Like I, I suspect you're right. Like, that's probably, you know, going through her mind is that, you know, it's not just like I have to make a decision, you know, in order to not assume my responsibility, but also if I don't make this decision, then who is going to make it? And, yeah, Yeah, it's going to be Baltar. And as we see, you know, in her uh, uh, note to Baltar at the end, she clearly doesn't, you know. She she doesn't trust him, right? And, uh. So yeah, so I think I think you're right. Like that that definitely, you know, makes sense and probably plays a part in in her decision there. Um. You know, I, you know, but again, there's still that sense of like. She could just say like well i'll let adama deal with that or you know sure. what i mean like i'll let like like it might technically be like it's really like why is why is that it's a security issue ultimately right and isn't that mm. isn't that really a military decision like isn't like all things cylon related a military decision mm. so like on the other hand it's like why does that her why does that fall to her you know uh under her power to begin with. Right. And I don't, I mean, other, other than just like, it makes for a good story, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like, like I don't, we don't really get sort of the nuances of why that in particular, you know, maybe because it has to do with a baby. And even though like Sharon's a Cylon, like the baby's not a Cylon, we don't quite know what it is, but maybe it falls more under civilian. I don't know. I'm just trying to sort of, Maybe guess at what the logic is there but i don't i don't necessarily have right uh, uh, you know a real uh, uh, i don't have it like they don't really say why ultimately it's her decision about you know what to do with the fate of of the you know, right son, right you well know, and Sharon and Hilo's baby yeah
1: well we're back to the kind of uh Porous boundary between what is or isn't the military issue and what is Adama's purview versus Rosalind's. and you know um, i I feel like it's always hard to because they spend so much time really making those decisions together, you know it's hard to separate out mm. at what point does it become. An agreed upon decision between the two of them, and at what point can one of them really outrank the other one without like throwing a coup, but just sort of call, okay, this is in my turf, so this is my decision, you know. Um, and it's like,
0: and and Adama, like, we even you know see Adama saying to Baltar, like, you know, oh, Roslyn seemed in her right mind and it's her decision and i'm going to abide by it like right like so there is that sense where where they are agreeing in that respect like he's right he certainly seems to at this point be going along with it and maybe it's just just because it happens to be the same decision he would have made right (laughs) you know so like like it had it not been then Maybe he would have been more uh, amenable to Baltar's, you know, decision, or or uh, not decision, but pleading mm-hmm. there. Um, but since uh, since it happens to be this, you know, what Adama himself would have chosen, he goes ahead and goes along with it.
1: Right. Well, and I feel like it also, it kind of relates to, I don't know how well this comes across, but I feel like it kind of relates to the other... Plot in the episode with like the Cylon sympathizers, because there's this idea of like, should, according to these, you know, sympathizers should, like, kind of diplomatic negotiations with the Cylons even be handled by the kind of military presence anyway, like, should the civilians be kind of having, you know, peace talks and and negotiations going on. And so maybe it's a kind of like, you know, whether or not that's intentional, is it to kind of, I don't know, at least keep, not just keep the appearances, but make sure that there's a civilian presence within how the enemy is treated. That it's not a purely, like if you have like a POW who's there for, tactical advice and, you know, uh, negotiating and giving you information and all this stuff, you know, there are, like, kind of c- civil, humane implications into how you treat her. It's not just, like, well, she's an enemy, so we can just sort of, we're in a fight and we can gun her down. Um, right. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know that, because obviously, like, we don't get that, we don't have their you know, constitution and protocol to tell us exactly like whose job this all is, but right.
0: But But that seems to be
1: part of the argument behind the sympathizers is why is it the military fighting all the Cylons when maybe there's a civilian movement that would like to be having, you know, talk more dialogue and, you know, negotiating and all that kind of thing. And, and therefore we can't just go around, you know, um, executing and terminating fetuses and and you know whatever of like our you know POWs and stuff Yeah. or if we do it it's the president's call it's not Adama's I guess is really the point like you know right I don't know
0: which which also like I mean could you imagine like if Obama like ordered a fetus to be terminated, like, how that would go off. Like, I mean, just kind of, like, just that whole idea. Like, regardless of the military context. Sure. You know. Right. uh, uh, I mean, just, like, or, I mean, any president, really, but just, he happens to be the president right now. Right, right. Right. At least another little while. And, like, you know, you can can just imagine, like, how well that would go off. How well that would go down. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, no, I mean you're right. Like and, and certainly I've complained about that before about not not having like the articles of you know sure. consideration or whatever whatever. Right. No, of and articles, you right. kinda of
1: have to like you know, headcanon it, you know, like well yeah. based on the evidence it seems to be that this is the the you know the structure of whatever. Yeah. Um so yeah,
0: so regardless of whose decision it is and all that, Roslyn makes the decision mm-hmm. and everyone seems to be going along with it. Um, it's kind of interesting. Cause like, I don't know, like on the one hand, like, I don't think Cottle like necessarily agrees with Roslyn's decision.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, but he's also, he's all, he's fairly agnostic about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't seem to, like, he's he's also not too happy with, like, Baltar being the one to, like, inject Roslin with the baby's blood. like right. You know, like, he, he seems much more, maybe agnostic or wrong term, but more moderate in his right. sort of, it's, it's like, this is damned odd. And, like, that's all he, like, says about it. Right. <laughs> like. He doesn't really agree with either side, you know. Right, sort of he
1: doesn't say of, it's super awesome. You know, he doesn't say it's super awesome healing blood, but neither does he say it's evil. Like, he just kind of says, like, huh, it's odd. Right. It's, it's <laughs> this is unexpected. And yeah. I'll let you all draw conclusions from that. Yeah, like, right. Coddle seems like a let nature take its course kind of, like, apart from being a doctor who, like, heals people, like, outside of, He's not looking to violate the boundaries of that. So, like, right. yeah, um, messing with weird experimental things is not really his his jam, I guess.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and I guess that's the thing. Like, you're right. Like, he's he's a practitioner, right? He's not a researcher, right? Like, sure. You know, if, if 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 we can make that distinction, because like Baltar definitely is the researcher, mm-hmm. and like for him. Like, whatever the outcome. It, like, he's more excited about the discovery. Mm-hmm. Whatever that discovery is. And so, like, like I kind of feel like... Like, he was excited about the baby's blood saving Roslyn. On the one hand, though, I think it was more about saving the baby than Roslyn.
1: Right. right.
0: And, like, if the baby's blood had killed Roslyn, I don't think he would be upset because... Roslyn died right but he would be upset because it would mean that like the baby would die but like you know his his excitement though is is that discovery of oh i figured out what the blood does or or at least what it can do Mm -hmm. it's not like i mean the blood's purpose isn't to cure Roslyn, obviously Mm -hmm. it's to you know help the baby stay alive just like anyone's blood is but you know the fact that he figured out that the blood could save Rosalind and kill, you know, the cancer like that definitely seems, you you know, again, like he's more like whatever that discovery might have been, he would have been excited either way because it's a discovery, Mm -hmm. not necessarily because it's a life-saving discovery.
1: Or, or, um, or I think too, there are like, there's that pure kind of happiness over, you know, uh, you know, a, a, an epiphany, like a scientific epiphany. But then there's, um, the selfish aspect too, which is never far from the surface right. of, of, it's more about saving himself than about Roslyn. It's about, you know, saving Roslyn means like, okay. If saving Roslyn isn't the primary goal, then even the added bonus of saving Roslyn isn't really about Rosalind. It's about the fact that I don't have to do her job. Um, She gets to stay yeah. in power and make the tough decisions and I can stay, you know, kind of where I am um, at, at on top of all of the, the baby implications with head sex and the kind of like messianic like this is our divine child and it's your job to save her. So it's all of those things. Of, like, all of those, like, four or five different motives, Rosalind herself is, like, at the bottom. <laughs> like, all of those things yeah, come before right. Rosalind, the person.
0: Um, right. Right. Saving Rosalind's life is a means to all those ends. All other those enemies. ends, yeah. Like, yeah, there's... It's not... If he could achieve those things without saving Rosalind's life, so be it. Like, it wouldn't... He, he wouldn't... And especially... but especially after he reads the letter. Right, sure. (laughs) You know, he's not, he's even less inclined at that point, knowing sort of her true feelings for him, which I feel like, and we've jumped all around like with it, but let's just addressing that for a moment. It's, I don't know why it should be such a surprise to him that she doesn't really trust or, you know, uh, uh, hold him in high esteem, like... like Yeah, well... Other other than maybe, like, that he just is egotistical, and so maybe anything that she said to him before has sort of gone over his head in that sort of way. Like, that might just... And it might be as simple as that, as an X-1A. I
1: I feel like we've made this comparison many times, and I don't want to make it too much, because I feel like there's a huge... There are huge differences, but... Is there like a trump factor here of like like <laughs> you would think at this point
0: like no matter how bad no he matter does, how bad day, he, he does no won.
1: matter how no matter that he seems to go out of his way to offend exactly the kinds of people who get offended by the things that he says, and you would think that these are calculated things to offend exactly the kind of people who get up in arms at every single thing he says. Nevertheless, he seems to be one of the most sensitive people that like in terms sure. of like his self image if anyone says
0: a single thing if anyone says him. a single
1: thing and it doesn't yeah. matter if it's his loyal supporter or his mortal enemy or SNL like they're all like, you know, like they have to be viscerally responded to because they're and so it's like I don't understand that either, but there are people like that, you know, like it doesn't make sense to me, but I recognize it, you know, like I've seen that in, I don't make, maybe that comes with a certain level of celebrity, but in the kind of bad sense of like, you know, when you've maybe had a few too many sycophants around you for a little too long and, you know, you're kind of used to being viewed you know, under the the spotlight of stardom and and think of yourself a certain way that it would seem like those are contradictory things, and yet people somehow reconcile them you know in their in their minds um, I don't know yeah um and it's sort of like yeah. it's sort of like I think Baltar too maybe I kind of feel like he just has like a short memory like it's sort of like. He kind of knows that people like don't, that kind of think, they think he's weird or weaselly or don't trust him. But it's like, if he saves the day and then in his own mind he's the hero, like he says, like mm-hmm. like I'm the beacon of hope for once. It's like, for him, everyone else must see him that way too. Like, and, and sure. it doesn't matter that Rosalind wrote the letter two weeks ago or whatever. Like, before this, before he saved her life. It's like he wants that immediate gratification of having done the good deed. And obviously that's not what he gets, but it doesn't, the context doesn't matter. All that matters is that he continue to feel validated for the good thing that he did.
0: Right. Right. And yeah, like, like you do kind of wonder what is he expecting when he opens that letter? Is it like, Is he expecting some sort of fan letter of praise from Roslyn? You know, rather than... Because really, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's actually not that offensive of a letter. Like, like she's actually trying to genuinely offer him advice. Mm -hmm. It's just that she sees him in such a different way than his own sort of personal paradigm of himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that... You know, it it offends him that she even thinks of him in a way that isn't, you know, that's anything but, like, the utmost respect right. and awe, you know, right. like, so, yeah, just kind of, you do have to sort of wonder, like, what what was he expecting to read in that letter? Right,
1: right. Uh, exactly. Right. Well, and it like, it, it kicks him at his high point. It's like, you know it's all about you need to like rise above your selfishness and it's like well this is the day that he did like in his mind the unselfish thing he saved her you know he could have let her die and taken over the presidency but no you know he did the right thing and and like that's the moment that he opens the letter and reads about like his selfishness and I think it's just like he's you know there's something kind of like childish but like childlike about it of just you know his feelings got hurt and like it doesn't matter whether it was accurate or whether he might have expected it it's like well she said mean things and you know that is you know uh you know a turn off and but unfortunately he has more power to respond to that than like the average person does obviously yeah So I, f- I mean, we right. feel like we kind of skipped ahead to Baltar. Maybe we should talk about like the flashback stuff with like Roslin's yeah. backstory.
0: Yeah, right. So and we kind of were going to start there, I think, yeah. and then yeah, it kind of shifted. So um, we do get some of this backstory flashback. So this is like, like when we when we start off with the series, it's her when we first see her in the miniseries she's learning that she has cancer and is just about to go to the galactica Mm -hmm. now we sort of see that same point and then sort of work backwards like we go backwards from that and see what what leads up to that you know point um not, not. I mean, we see we see her getting the diagnosis, and then leading up to the point of her going to the galactica. Right. Or not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leading up to the diagnosis. Right. Sorry, I I, I stated that poor, I realized like halfway through saying that I'm like not. Being
1: right. Not right.
0: Um, she. You know, we still start with the diagnosis. It's just now we're filling in sort of what happens between the diagnosis and going to the galactica. Right. Yeah,
1: we see like how so does we, the rest of her day sort of play out.
0: Right. Right. It turns out to be rather jam-packed, in fact. Um, and we learned sort of a lot of little bits. Like, oh, we knew that she was sort of a close personal friend of President Adar. We didn't really know how close and how personal of a friend sure. of Adar yeah. that she was until now. And uh, we see that it's quite close and personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't know anything about these sort of problems with Uh, the teachers union and and you know the negotiations that she uh holds sort of without authorization or at least schedules without authorization and then you know she goes into them thinking that oh this is actually is a negotiation and it turns out that adar doesn't want her to, you know, mm-hmm. actually, you know, negotiate with the teachers union because not necessarily because it's bad to negotiate with them, but because of the precedent it sets mm-hmm. for all these other, you know, potential union strikes and, you know, problems that come down, that, that could come down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we also see her sort of, noticing but not quite noticing at first until the very end i think right before she wakes up um that baltar is sort of hanging around with yeah uh, a version of the model six um cylon and so uh there you know it's just sort of like in passing in the background as you know like you imagine like in washington dc like this happens with like politicians where you know all all the time where like politicians we might see on the news as like having diametrically opposed positions, but then like they walk down the same hallway in Congress, you know, all the time or, you know, that kind of, like they're, they're constantly brushing shoulders at functions and events and Mm -hmm. just in daily passing, you know, by the fountain of the mall or whatever, you know, and just like, it
1: it, it could almost seem like, there could be like a far fetched aspect to it of like, oh, really? She happened to see Baltar and remembered it, and with with the six right. and everything. But it's like, well, no, because she's in government, and he's not directly, but certainly it sounds like right. was involved. Well, I
0: mean, he had access to the Department of Defense, and exactly. stuff. Right? exactly, like and was like a friend all of the these...
1: administration and everything. And so, and right. this is like clearly like the the center of City Hall or whatever. Like this is their little courtyard around right. the, and the government buildings so then, then it's like well yeah like that's actually not far-fetched at all that they would have bumped into each other
0: and actually now that i think about it because i think early on he kind of you know baltar kind of makes a big deal about being a personal friend of adar's and now that we see i think how close Roslyn is like that that whole you know when they first meet you know, Raulin says, "Oh, we met at like a party once mm-hmm. last year," and Baltar doesn't really remember it. But it's like, "Oh, interesting. Like, who were you with at this party? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or or maybe not with. Like, maybe it's a secret or whatever. But like, what happened after the party? And you know, like, there's right. there's just sort of implications there that weren't there the first time we saw the two of them meet. But yeah, like, there's definitely there's no reason to think that they wouldn't have been brushing shoulders and maybe have seen each other across the way or whatever from time to time but never had any like direct interaction mm-hmm. and so the presumption here is that these are actual like like everything else seems to be actual experiences that she's having mm-hmm. so it would stand to reason that seeing Baltar and Six together also was something that she yeah. actually saw right? and not just like thing, it's not like she's just imagining this happening or like with Baltar that it's the Cylons or something putting memories in her head. I mean, why would they put that memory in her head? But you know, like just that idea of she, like this is her subconscious on her deathbed, you know, pulling up memories that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: had just sort of, or images that she had never paid attention to. And now, you know, has to sort of, acknowledge and and deal with
1: right right and you kind of get that at the end like when she kind of comes to after like when she starts to get better and kind of like starts to point at Baltar and he sort of like puts her hand down like no no (laughs) like don't don't try to move and everything and it's like you know it's kind of funny because you can see her him, he doesn't realize that that's what she's remembering, but she's, you know, seemingly, like, having, like, that memory and putting the the pieces together. Um, Which, again, like, it's not like she didn't suspect it. Like, she told him point blank, like, I believe you were involved with the genocide somehow. I just don't know how. Um, And all this is, is at least in her memory, confirmation of that he had contact with the Cylons beforehand. Um, kind of the the last puzzle piece that she needs to really confirm that belief. Um. So, yeah. And it's like, you know, without knowing more about her relationship with Adar, it's hard to know, how far to go with that in any particular direction, like without, like they just kind of present the fact of their relationship, but like in political matters, the context is like everything of like, you know, when did the relationship start? How secret or public is it? You know, uh, what other parties might or might not be involved in what ways does this benefit either or both of their careers, like whatever? Like, yeah. it has yeah. all these implications that, you know, we just don't get the answers to here. I mean, I think you're, you're, they leave it free for you to sort of speculate, but they don't really right. give you definitively, they don't say this is a scandal, this is a, you know, inappropriate or this is whatever. You could go in that direction if you want to, but I don't know that you, there's nothing conclusive to say that it has to. It's sort of, it's just there.
0: Well, right. So, right. So there's questions like what came first, the appointment or the kiss, Right. you know, like, you know, and on the other hand, you do see that Adar's quite angry with her about the negotiations and willing to like, Force her to resign or try to force her to resign because her intention seems to be that she's not going to resign and that there's going to be, you know, some fight back in her. And so the question becomes is like, is this one of those things where it's like, you know, the personal relationship sort of mirrors the professional one Mm -hmm. or or is it is it completely opposite where like they can have their personal relationship. But what happens in the office is like. You know what happens in the office, and so like, you know, supposedly there are people that way. I would find it hard to operate that way. Yeah, that sounds. You know, who
1: does that? That sounds like. uh Yeah.
0: But I mean, that sort of seems to be a thing that is a trope anyway in certain TV shows Mm -hmm. and whatever that you have, like the the couple who can, you know, keep business and pleasure apart, so to speak. But anyway, like you know, it is a question because you're right. Like we don't actually know what their relationship is and how long it's been going and, you know, how, you know, these negotiations and mm-hmm. each of their reactions to the negotiations sort of is going to affect all that. But um, it is interesting sort of from a parallel perspective then knowing, you know, seeing the the epiphany or the revelation of this, relationship between Rosalind and Adar uh, as to, you know, her relationship with Adama. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, hey, now here's Rosalind again, you know, having built a Rocky at times relationship with, you know, the guy who's pretty much the de facto leader of mm-hmm. humanity. The, at this the free point. world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: Of the free of yeah, the free-ish world and uh you know not just a professional, you know, Rocky relationship, but also there's a personal aspect to it given Mm -hmm. the kiss in the last episode Mm -hmm. and um you know, even just in the concern and stuff that he he exhibits here for her. So there's certainly some parallel uh stuff going on there and I mean, hey, go Rosalind if you can attract these sort of high-powered dudes and that's what you're into. But um, it is just kind of interesting to look at it in that respect.
1: Uh, well, and it presents that problem if, you know, going forward of if the relationship moves in a more personal direction, what implications does that have for their professional relationship? You know? Um, It kind of brings that up and says, okay, that's fine. But then be prepared for these kinds of issues. And like when you, when you butt heads on something, how do you deal with that both in the running of humanity and in like maintaining the the relationship? Um, And that's a thing that has to be addressed and dealt with.
0: And again, we don't, we get a very small snippet of backstory with Adar and Roslyn at a very particular time. Right. Right. So like you said, it's hard to draw conclusions or, or make any real uh, assessment of, you know, based on that. But with Roslyn and Adama, obviously we have quite a bit of backstory and part of that backstory is that, I mean, Hey, He's already thrown her in jail. Like how much you know, worse how much, can he get? How much worse can their personal relationship <laughs> right. get?
1: Right.
0: You know, or the or or is that a professional relationship? I guess that's professional because he threw her in jail as the president. Like you, you know, you know what I mean. Like right. so, like they've already gone through that aspect, right. and then like now they're
1: yeah,
0: you know, flirting and kissing and stuff. So like right. like may, maybe. You know, maybe that's the uh, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's just an order of operations thing. Like, you can have the the locking up and death threats and all of that kind of thing. You know, in the military coups, and then just make sure that comes up. before. But if it goes the together. other way yeah. around, yeah, yeah, then then it'll never work. Out. <laughs> right. Like, if you can weather that, then you can weather it. Right. Then. Right. If you can weather a military coup, you're pretty good. Um. <laughs> so yeah so i you know i mean i don't know what more to make of it other than you know again we sort of get the question does sort of seep into like even less significant or less seemingly significant things like like the fact that adama says to baltar like oh well she seemed perfectly you know coherent and rational to me you know is that a true assessment of her state or is that you know well i kissed her yesterday so it's all good like you know and you'd like to think that adama is more analytical and and thoughtful than that and wouldn't maybe be swayed by those uh emotional mm-hmm. you know aspects but who knows right like maybe there's something underlying that or maybe it's like he's on the fence and this is just enough to tip him one way, you know, versus another,
1: right.
0: Um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I don't, I don't know other than sort of noting the parallel there. Like, I think again, you're right that, that we don't know maybe enough of the backstory with Adar And then they just sort of, like, present it as, like, here's this thing. Mm -hmm. And so do with it as you will, Mm -hmm. uh, so to speak. Um, The other aspect of her flashbacks is the negotiations with the teachers' union. And we see there that um, she seems to be able to negotiate with the union like they're they're going up against Adar. Like so it seems very clear that Adar's administration is either anti-union or at least anti giving this particular union whatever they're asking for. Right. Right. So they're, you know, uh, there's the conflict there. Roslyn maybe as as a former school teacher and probably Adar and others, you know, who are career politicians would say this is naive. Uh, You know, Rosalind seems to go into it thinking that this is, like, actually a good-faith negotiation. And so it seems when the the union rep or whatever, you know, uh, talks with her, he seems genuinely surprised that, like, She's approaching it that way that like, oh, you know, this actually isn't. And so, you know, she goes into that, but, but I don't think it's as naive as maybe Adar or whoever would think it is, because I think Rosalind goes into it also pretty toughly. Like she, she doesn't just like back down. She says, if, if we're going to come to this compromise, then the teachers need to be back in the schools teaching. Like, you know, we want students back in school and we want, teachers teaching and we want you know things running smoothly you know or else you're not going to get what you want either so you know it's now you know she does it in like a half hour and i'm sure like real life negotiations like that would take much longer but you know i think the point here is that like you know we're meant to look at it as like you know she's actually a pretty good negotiator and not only good but has integrity and in sort of the go, like she'll approach it in good faith but she also won't put up with you know bs from the other side mm-hmm. and so the parallel there of course is with the cylon sympathizers i called them cylon liberation front <laughs> um which i guess isn't really it's kind of a misnomer. I mean, there's only one Cylon. No, yeah, only one Cylon in captivity at the moment. Right, right. Um, unless unless you count the baby as, like, also in captivity. But, um, and, that, and that's hybrid anyway, so. Uh, anyway, right. but, uh, Cylon sympathizers, um, and, and y-
1: Yahi? I guess. Is that the, guy, is that the guy's name? According Something to like Wikipedia. That?
0: Okay. Um you know he's sort of a, a a akin to the um teacher union rep right that she talks to so right. he's they, they throw him in jail like adam is like like he kind of pulls off the whole like you know we're a collective and like no like i can't speak for everyone but like mm-hmm. we're all of one mind kind of mm-hmm. weird you know stuff like that and adam was like okay well then let's start by throwing you in jail and right you know, uh, you know, we may not be able to quash it, but it'll, it'll be one less person out there and, you know, sort of actively working against us. Uh,
1: well, or is the, is the, the line that he's not the leader kind of a bluff. And so, right, you know, let's throw you in jail and see what effect it has on the movement, you know, um, you know, kind of, sure. I think it, it, Adama's thinking it can't hurt so we might as well start there. Um right. Um you know, and Ty of course being the other point along the spectrum of like the worst negotiator. You know, the least humane of negotiators, you know. He says visitor of my ass, yeah. we shoot people like you for treason. Like, you know, um Ty being, you know, Ty. Right. Um
0: yeah. Or like, you know, A Tale of Two Cities where they're all Jacques, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, okay. So at some point, someone is has to actually be pulling the strings somewhere. Um, right. So, uh, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, he gets thrown in jail. And, I mean you know he's sort of the again there's a parallel there with the union guy Um, you know he sort of refuses to negotiate and then when Rosalind comes in at the end after she's you know been miraculously healed uh, you know you get the sense that like like she's treating him exactly the same way as she treated the, the other uh you know, the union rep right back on Mm Capricorn is, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is the, this is Rosalind saying, okay, look, if you want to negotiate, let's negotiate, but you're going to do it in good faith. We're not going to have more violence. We're not going to have more, you know, sabotage and that kind of thing. And, you know, by the way, I don't believe that you can't, like, make something happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you you go back to, you know, whoever you need to go back to and and figure it out. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I mean, obviously we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, we don't really get a resolution of that at this point. Yeah. But we we do get, you know, Baltar's involvement. Right, right. And <laughs> sort of his own adding of a... Uh,
1: uh, 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 well, and
0: additional term into the agreement, so to sure,
1: and I think, too, kind of the point is like letting us know that there this movement even exists, like, just as kind of a FYI, you know, within the civilian population, there is this, you know, how widespread it's hard to say, but there is this, you know, sentiment of, of. of anti anti you know uh military um of some kind of different attitudes, both wanting peace like just wanting peace for the sake of not having to be fighting and chased across the galaxy anymore, right. but also even looking further back into history and looking to maybe um address and atone. Of humanity's past sins and kind of not just make peace to stop the fighting but to actually look further back and say you know um we started it and what can we do to be the ones to sort of extend the olive branch and everything which is you know we've heard Adama kind of talk about and and kind of wonder about what humanity is at fault for and what makes it worth surviving and everything but i feel like this is the first that we're hearing of like a movement to you know Mm -hmm. go out of their way to you know try to reach across the aisle to the cylons you know i mean obviously adama and roslyn disagree with that approach and you can argue about it but i think letting us and the audience know that it exists is interesting. Oh yeah,
0: well, and and it's uh, is a it Baltar who says like it's not necessarily surprising that it exists, but that it's grown mm. so big, mm-hmm. right? Like that they have paraphernalia and, and propaganda and and right. you know are sort of moving moving themselves into positions of. Mm you know, to where they can actually do some damage. Like, you know, the woman who, um, you know, is, is creating the fake, uh, right. bullets and stuff for the, for the, uh, vipers. So, yeah, like it, you know, it's not just, it's not just like a few disgruntled people. It's, it's an actual and somewhat organized movement, mm-hmm. you know, to change the way, uh, Change through terrorism, if need be, you know how you know how the the interactions between humans and cylons are going, and you know I mean, we could probably draw various real world you know differences there, but yeah it's mm-hmm. it's kind of that thing of like you know where do you where do you set your when your personal window of history right and like mm-hmm. how far back do you go and how much do you say like okay yes maybe there were atrocities so many years ago but at some point you just have to like realize that we're we're never going to roll back to a certain point mm-hmm. so like what's what's the realistic outcome at this point point? and so like you know even if you know on the one hand you can say oh okay so like the C- we created cylons and enslaved them but on the other hand it's like well yeah but they're robots like you know that that was the point is that like we made robots to serve us <laughs> like mm-hmm. and and at what point you know did that become wrong well maybe when they became sentient but you know okay we don't know exactly when that was but you know, like, you can have that argument over and over of just, like, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem mm-hmm. of, of, you know, which which really came first, and how far back do you go, and and what do you consider kind of that first, you know, it, it's like trying to settle the Mideast conflict. Right. Like, who, who really shot the first, you know, whatever, or threw the first stone, or, you know, like, right. whatever, like, we're talking thousands of years here, and... Um, you know maybe not strictly that in Cylon human relations but but there is I feel like that same level of complexity of like okay even if even if you take the view that the Cylons were enslaved or whatever like at some point it becomes just as wrong for them to wipe out humanity (laughs) you know because of their former slavery you know that doesn't that see it seems like the scales are tipping too far the other way in that Sense,
1: right. Um, well, and all this has happened before. All this will happen again. That like, this is a cycle that's repeated. You know that. Uh, yeah. And the players, although the open I mean, says the players change, but the pattern sort of holds. But the then question maybe this is, time you're the victim, and I'm the whatever. You know. Um,
0: yeah. the The question is how how much do people believe that? Like, is that is that really something that people believe, or is it just a saying? You know what I mean, like, right? Like, do they take that literally? As there has, there have been former iterations of human and Cylon conflict, and you know, like, I think we right. have been saying that, but I don't know that, like, any actual humans necessarily take it at that sort of literal. Well, level. I
1: think it depends. I think the same way that we have scripture in our world, and different people interpret it to varying levels of literal, literalism. You know, like, whereas I think when Leobin quoted that line, I think Kara kind of said, yeah, I was brought up to believe in the scriptures and I believe that verse, you know, whereas, you know, uh, agnostic Adama might kind of agree with the sentiment behind it, but maybe not take it quite so literally as that. And, and so different people would have a different, um, and I didn't even necessarily mean that this, this, these actions have literally been repeated by human and Thailand, Maybe they have, but also just in a general idea, which we have of like history repeats itself that like new right. generations well, are no, born and, and make the same mistakes and you're reacting to what's been done to you, but then you also perpetrate those same mistakes forward. And so the whole thing just becomes a kind of cyclical, you know, thing that we get stuck in.
0: That's kind of what I was trying to get at is like it it all depends on what level you're you're interpreting it and how Mm -hmm. much as a human, you know, do the humans actually believe. Right. You know. Yeah. Is it like is it sort of a general idea of history repeats itself or is it, you know, something closer to what I think Leo been saying it as like yes like these actions have actually mm-hmm. all happened before and ha- you know happened again it's just that maybe there were different actors right. and and the sides were sort of split up differently but you know right. this is going through another iteration of the same thing um so yeah i don't i mean Again, it sort of all depends on like your own personal window and and belief system as to as to you know where you fall in that line i mean there's also this like i mean you kind of nothing so they you know one of the questions that gets asked is like you know how how uh uh effective has you know the the sort of hit and run Mental, you know, hit and run campaigns against the Cylon bin. But like when you think about that, like there's only been one. There's only been one hit and run mm. really against the Cylon. Well, I guess two, if you count like Sharon, like Boomer, you know, bringing the bomb onto that one base star mm. above Cobalt, right? Mm. Like maybe that's the first one. And then maybe after that, you have, you know, this latest one where. You know, together they destroyed the uh, uh, Resurrection Ship, right? right? The yeah. two Battle Stars together. But like those, those have been like that's it. Whereas, like compare that with like what the Cylons had been doing. Like, uh, do you remember thirty-three, where literally every thirty-three minutes they were doing hit and runs against right. you know the the thing? So it's there's also a certain sense of I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance or like if it's like a, a 1984 memory hole kind of thing where like like there's sort of a selective memory loss going hmm. on here among or or a reinterpretation of events if you want to call it that of you know the the cylon sympathizers i think of of characterizing humans in this particular instance as the ones being on attack when in fact it was the cylons who broke the truce that had been set up for 40 years right you know, like, it, that wasn't humans who did that. Uh, it was the Cylons who had, who, who broke that truce right. and who attacked all the planets and who have been harassing the fleet ever since. Right. And so, like, on the one hand, while I can agree with, like, the, the uh, uh, anti-war stance... Yeah. I I think it's really hard to make the case that the humans are the aggressors in this particular Mm -hmm. battle anyway, in this uh, round of the war, so to speak. So, um, you know, and, you know, that's, Adama seems to agree with me on that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And I think, you know, we get the sense that, that even probably you know most of the civilians probably agree with that too. Like right. even though this group has gotten to be a certain size, like it's it doesn't seem like it like it hasn't. We're not talking like more than half. You know, it's not a majority of the civilians. Right. It's still a fairly small number of people. Um,
1: right. It's a vocal, and, active minority, but um, and and
0: and then there's always that question of. Not just vocal but violent right. right like there's always that question of does you know do acts of violence in the name of peace ever you know whether it's military violence or or sort of civilian terrorist violence like do those ever really are they ever really justified, even if they're quote you know in the name of peace mm-hmm. or not um, you know it's like you know the whole thing of like calling. U.N. soldiers, peacekeepers, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, you know, that's, if, if, you know, is it really peaceful to enact more violence? And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, sort of the question there with a lot of the actions that they're taking. And, and which is where, you know, I think when Roslyn comes in, that's, that's kind of her point, is like, we'll negotiate with you, but you need to stop the violence. And, you know, right. at that point... And that's kind of like, like you, you know, maybe that same thing would be true if the Cylons stopped their violence. You know, maybe we would be willing to negotiate with them, Mm -hmm. but they don't stop the violence. And so it's, it's hard to just sort of unilaterally put your guns down when, you know, the minute you put your guns down, you know, you're going to get shot at.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, Right. So anyway,
1: Yeah. I don't know that I have anything to add to that, really. Um, Um, I mean, I I think it... it, Just to finish with that, I think because the nature of the show takes place on the battleship, we're going to be surrounded by characters who agree with what all you just said, who, like, aren't going to see the military as, like, you know the aggressor, or at least they're not seeing themselves as the aggressors. I, I don't disagree with it either, but like, again, I think the, the, maybe the, the purpose behind having an episode like this is then to show for whether well reasoned or not there, that in a large population, there are going to be differences of opinion and different like ways of demonstrating that opinion. So it's sort of like, sure you know, like, uh, like the six says at the end, you know, after so much time, the fleet is going to start to get restless and start to sort of turn on itself and, um, you know, and, and question the way things have been done. And, you know, it's sort of like they're waiting for the, for the leaders to sort of solve all the problems. And when they don't, you know, uh, The honeymoon period's over and people are going to start to have opinions about why we're still out here searching and fighting and everything. Um, Sure. So, you know, I think letting, you know, kind of, obviously this doesn't solve those conflicts, but it kind of lets us know that they exist and sort of have to be dealt with.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And i mean we'll we'll see how that continues mm-hmm um, cool, so do we want to move on to a intro? yeah and then, sure and uh talk about Cordy's birthday, which we watched on our birthday actual
1: birthday our birthday uh, because our we birthday. share a birthday we do um
0: we do, although I had it first.
1: This is true. Um. Uh, not
0: that, I mean, not that that's something to brag about necessarily. He it just, it's a fact. Yeah, I'm just of sort life. of like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yes, a couple, My I mean, nothing real important here necessarily, but wanted to mention a few production things. Um, we get, um, sort of the highlight of the episode for me is the interstitial uh, Cordy episode uh, that we, or not even, we don't really get an episode. It's like the, the we get like the title the sequence to this, you know, show and then like kind of see her like, you know, as filmed before a live studio right. audience. Don't you kind of you know?
1: wish the whole episode was structured around that idea?
0: Well, yes. And thank you for bringing that up <laughs> because I, I do have to say that as much as I like sort of the idea of this episode, I'm kind of disappointed in how it's, you know, how it would played out. And I don't, Yeah, I don't have any one point at this point. Like, I don't, I don't think it's just the writing, although I'm not, I don't think the writing's great. I don't think it's just the direction. I And I don't think the direction's all that great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I think it's sort of like a, a conglomeration of just like, nothing's terrible either. Mm. And there are a lot of elements that I like. Like, for example, I love that we get Skip again. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think he's got a couple of great little moments. But, like, I just feel like he's not utilized in the best way. And I don't think that, like, I don't know. I just feel like the different elements don't really mesh as well as maybe they could have. Yeah. Um, as as a story. But, yeah, I think, like, I think what it would have been great is if we got, like, I think what would have been awesome is if instead of like doing the whole like introductory stuff and then seeing Cordy like out of body is if we like just started with like, like like almost like with once more with feeling where you start with like an entirely different title sequence and like go right into like, this is Cordy and then kind of it and then have it build into more of a you know, she's learning about what happened, what happened. And so that by the end, you realize that this whole thing has been an overwritten history, alternate universe kind of thing. And that she makes the decision at the end to go back. And then you kind of learn, you know, in the last segment, like what, you know, the last act or whatever, what happened to bring everyone to that
1: point. Right. Um, Right. And, And even, like, I'm even kind of wondering, like, on top of the alternate history stuff, what else can you do with the kind of genre splicing of like the sit right. the sitcom format? Like, how much right. could we get away with having doing like a sitcom version of well, Angel? Like where it's like Cordy and, is this is the star of like her own version of like, you know, whatever, name yeah. your name your sitcom of choice, and get away right. with it. I almost, like, wish they'd just totally gone with that and, like, shot it, like, with a, right. a like, a laugh track and, you know, um, you know, and and, and, then, and multicam and all that kind of thing. And, like, just see yeah. what, something more experimental, like, you know, because I'm trying to think of, like, how can you do an alternate history that's not just, because they've done that before. So, like, you know, we've had, like, you know, um, superstar and the uh, i forget the name of the alternate history one in buffy where it was cordy based again where she made a different choice and then things kind of veered off into oh, the yeah, other yeah. direction it, where
0: the, like the whole the wish verse with, yes you know, that the right. wish
1: that's the one i was thinking of yeah, yeah. like like those but also again doing something different with like the formatting of Okay, play with the idea of Angel as a sitcom and what can you what kind of fun right. premises can you do and with that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, given that, you know, a sitcom is a half hour or, you know, 20 whatever minutes, like you could almost do an entire sitcom and right. then still have like half an episode right. to to wrap it up and, you know, right. reveal the true story. Right, like I reveal
1: mean. at the halfway point that this is the sitcom that she's shooting. That she's not living in a sitcom, it's just one that she's working on. And at that point right. the mystery starts of how did she get to where she is? And right, you know. See, I think right. we just uh
0: We made it better. We did, we really did. We should now if only we could actually rewrite history so that it did <laughs> make, all that. make
1: the writers um, take a different path in life. Um
0: so on on the um on the the DVD uh they do have like a seven minute clip of Cordy the the show mm-hmm. um, apparently um, I've actually never watched that so I'll have to go like maybe pop that in after and, and see if it's worth you know sharing somehow yeah but um, it was uh, it was filmed on a uh, Dharma and Greg set um, you know sort of sort of dressed up you know a little bit differently or whatever uh-huh. but you know, to give it sort of um, a true sitcom feel, uh, and uh, you know, uh, the the opening song uh, of Cordy is actually sung by Marty Knoxon and David Greenwald. Oh, who, interesting! Uh, who, who we we saw their singing chops in uh, once more with feeling, mm-hmm. you know, as well. So, um, kind of another uh, you know avenue here for them to get out some of their they're singing. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, again, nothing like real important with the um, stuff. Uh, Skip, as we mentioned, you know, is brought back when you talk about him. Um, And apparently uh, this, this is almost like similar to a spike thing where he was just, he was such a fan favorite Mm -hmm. in that one episode. They got a lot of, you know, people calling to like bring him back. So um, when they sort of decided they needed a guide, for Cordy, you know, and a connection to the powers that be right. because, you know, like we learned in, you know, uh, that vision thing, um, which is, a, you know, in, in, interesting that there's sort of a connection between the visions,
1: you know, mm-hmm.
0: with these two episodes here as well. Um, but we learn in that episode that Skip is, you know, protecting uh, Billy. We don't know Billy's name at the time, uh, you know, protecting or or guarding Billy And is sort of on the same side as Angel and the powers that be. Um, You know, he sort of becomes a shoe in for the guide, you know, here for Cordy. Um, So, yeah. Right. Anyway.
1: Yeah. So, no. And I think that's important. Like, you know, I mean, you could find a way to sort of shoehorn him in, but it it, it Um, makes it nice and sort of uh, satisfying that he continues to be this sort of representative for the powers that be like they give him special projects to do and it's sort of like you know okay you guard billy for a while and then when billy's gone all right now you do this or whatever like he's always working for them in some capacity
0: yeah so uh another little bit of trivia here though actually um the actor who plays skip Mm-hmm. Um do you, do you do you recognize him at all? Probably not with all the makeup.
1: I think you mentioned this before that he played somebody else, but I now I don't even remember what who you told me he played.
0: Uh not not someone in Angel or or right. whatever, but It was one of uh, the
1: Buffy villains, right? No,
0: no, no, no. Oh, so, so no, I don't recognize he, him. So Skip is actually Roy from the office uh Pam's uh fiance <laughs> is he really in the early seasons of The Office, yes.
1: That's uh, so funny. So hold on, I have to look uh, him David, up. Oh yeah.
0: David Denman that guy. Is the actor. Um so I yeah, I don't I mean and he's been in a bunch of other stuff as bit pieces. Uh now don't now don't look him up too much because then you might see oh. spoilers for Angel. But um <laughs> No, I just wanted to see what
1: he looked like because I kind of couldn't place his face.
0: Yeah, because because I will I'll, I'll mention here that we actually will see Skip at least one more time. So I won't tell you if, when or how. But um, well, I told you if I won't tell you when or how, <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll see Skip again. But yeah, no, it's I mean, I don't know that you would ever, like, realize that given the amount of makeup and stuff. Um, nope. Nope. Never,
1: but, never would have yeah. ever.
0: Uh, um. That's
1: funny. But- yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So, um, so Cordy, Cordy with an exclamation point. Cordy. <laughs> um, yeah. so I guess let's start with like the situation and, uh, you know, the her, what we're finding out about her medical condition because, um, we've known that the, visions are getting to be uh, a problem. I mean, obviously we've known they're a problem medically in that they've given her, they give her a lot of pain and headaches and Mm -hmm. they kind of, you know, make her sick and whatever. But like, kind of the impression was that those were more just sort of physical side effects, but that this was like a dangerous sort of metaphysical thing. But then what we're getting here is that there are, you know, like actual, you know, Verifiable medical uh, uh, problems with the continuing visions. Yeah. So we and see all the the cat scans and the you know diagnoses and all the the heavy duty medication that she's been taking for a long time. So this is something she's you know been concerned about yeah. for a while and been trying to treat, and it's getting worse.
0: And I think in most of the contexts where we've seen where we've seen them really be a problem, it's been, like, in conjunction with, like, something amplifying them or someone amplifying right. them in a way. Like, in that vision thing where you have, you know, uh, Kumar. uh right. The, the scalp-removing dude. Uh, where he's, like, actively, like, giving her worse visions that sort of manifest physically yeah. than our... Than you know, in you know, then she would have normally, um, or there was that other episode with, um, I forget the name of the demon or whatever, but he like, when he touched her, like it intensified the visions to the point where, Mm -hmm. you know, she was hospitalized and, and then, um, it was, you know, they were taken away and she sort of had normal visions again after that. So like, I feel like a lot of the problems we've seen, like it, they've been sort of masked by the fact that, that, you know, there's there have been other sort of uh, mystical mm-hmm. explanations for why they've given her problems, and this is really the first time where we've seen that. No, it's actually just it's actually been increasingly um, problematic over over the years. I mean we we've, we've gotten we have gotten other hints like there's the whole like well no I think isn't that The scene in the bathroom, is that in the vision thing where she like, you know, where like Phantom Dennis turns on like the bathtub for her and all that? I think it is. I think it
1: is. I mean, there is, there is the suggestion even there that, that was a, again, an amplified problem with a sort of which could be a solution to that aspect of it, but wasn't necessarily, like, a long-term solution to her problem. So you still had the hint that this is going to keep getting worse and it's not, and it's still a problem. But, yeah, I agree. Like, most of the really bad effects have been kind of explained away magically and been sort of dealt with magically. But, like, here we're seeing, like, not just, like, the the pain and the suffering of what she goes through but like the scans that show like the brain damage you know that like it's turning right. her brain into like mush and everything um you know and
0: the fact that she's been hiding that from right the others
1: right um right which uh you know um Pride is part of, you know, who Cordy is, you know, and there are kind of, sure, uh, you know, I think that kind of goes along with some of her, at least earlier in her, you know, characters, some of more, the more kind of uh, arrogant, selfish elements, but it also goes along with like mm-hmm. her nobility, you know, and the idea of like, she doesn't really like to ask for help. And accept it. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, she kind of... Whatever she does, she wants to see it through. And take control and responsibility for it. Um, you know, so... Yeah, I think it's kind of... In keeping that she would be sort of... Hiding it from... Everybody this whole time. Right. Um. So... Yeah, so we get you know, the kind of medical stuff. And we get I mean, we see more later, like, Skip shows her the the girl who had her like brain blown out the back of her skull and everything. Like obviously like it, it it's going to get even worse. Um mm-hmm. you know, and so we're kind of reaching the limit of what she can physically sort of sustain as a human being and everything. Um so So she gets this vision, it kind of knocks her out. And so then she goes on this kind of astral projection sort of vision quest, which I guess seems to kind of, I don't know if I'm jumping to a conclusion, but like, is it kind of the powers that be that do that for her? I mean, I know they present her with these options, but it also kind of seems like they are in these sort of last moments while she still has a chance pulling her out of herself so that she can sort of uh make a choice and you know mm. kind of present her with these options um which i don't know uh, i mean maybe the force of the vision kind of magically expels her from her mind or whatever but um it kind of seems like the powers that be are you know going out of their way to which is interesting because they've been so Hands off with everything that, you know, it's even interesting that they they send a guide and they present her with her alternatives and kind of let her make a decision. Like that's like more proactive than we've seen the powers that be be a lot of times.
0: And and I think. If anything, one of the one of the things that this episode does is. To make us question how powerful the powers that be actually are. Sure. And, you know, because one of the one of the things that like Skip acknowledges is that like, hey, Cordy wasn't supposed to have the visions to begin with. So, you know, they can control something. Like, maybe it's like they can control broad stroke, you know, situations, mm-hmm. but they still need to have people you know to kind of make decisions and do sort of the individual grunt work like you know because otherwise like why would they need a champion like angel or why would they need anyone like courtney to have the visions Mm -hmm. you know you know their their powers that and and their powers and they be but maybe they're not so good at the doing Mm. (laughs) you know like um and so, you know, like, if if they were really all-powerful or whatever, like, then they would have given the visions to someone else who could handle them. And not, like, someone else, like, Angel, necessarily, because, like, we see how poorly that goes. Uh, you know, but they would give them to someone who could actually handle, you know, the powers and doesn't get killed like Doyle. Like, Doyle actually seemed, like, when we see how well... I mean, not that Cordy's done bad. Like, you know, she's she's strong. But, like, just in the course of this episode, we see, like, three other people who have the visions besides Doyle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, one being the girl from the 1630s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Cordy and then Angel. And, like, all things considered, Doyle did actually a much better job at handling the visions than any of them. Right. You know, it's just that, he was so short lived with it um, and, and sacrificed himself, you know, to save other people or, you know, save other demons or whatever, but, you know, ended up, you know, by doing that, you know, getting rid of someone who could handle the visions in a, in a physical way that right. none of the others seemed to be able to do. And so, um, you know, Cordy takes them And like she says, like, you know, well, doesn't it, doesn't it prove that since I've had them for like two years now that I'm strong? And like Skip says, well, well, yes, but it doesn't prove that you're a demon. Like, you, you know, you still, mm-hmm. you know, it might, it might take a while for, you know, the effects to come, but that doesn't mean the effects aren't coming at all. And, you know, you can see that things are getting progressively worse. So. Right you know there's is you know again just going back to that idea of that like like this sort of sheds light on the fact that the powers that be aren't necessarily all powerful and so i think i think what they're doing i think and again acknowledging that this is not necessarily my favorite episode and i think part of it's because Maybe it is a little fuzzy, what you 're really kind of meant to take away from mm-hmm. it, um and not that that 's always a bad thing, but I do think i I feel like it's it 's fuzzy, not like in a good way because it 's like oh, you know they left some room in there for interpretation on purpose, but I feel like it 's fuzzy because like they didn 't really know what mm-hmm. they were you know mm-hmm. fully thinking but um I think the way so that i can that I sort of interpret it is that. The powers that be are, um, that they are sort of stepping in, in, in a way that they're able to, to give Cordy the chance at, to, to sort of redirect things in the way that they would have preferred, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they go, um, whether that's actually better or not, like, I mean, because we see, you know, we see the results of that. We see right. Wesley with one arm and Angel going insane and right. and and Fred presumably still in Pylea. Like, you know, we don't we don't know. Like, we don't know if this is what the powers that be consider a better situation mm-hmm. or not, but like. It certainly seems to be what they prefer over Cordy having the visions, and so, um,
1: right. Yeah. It's
0: interesting to me that like Skip even gets mad like at the end when Cordy like takes the visions back from Angel. Like, you know, there's there's that moment where he's like, "Hey, you you had this chance to like mm-hmm. be something else, and you didn't take it," and and so even that, like, even the fact that like. Cordy doesn't take that, make that decision. Like she's kind of going against the powers that mm-hmm. So, like, what does that even mean? Like, like to me, it says that like there's there's certainly still a lot of sort of free will and other things going on that aren't in the control of the powers, and that you know, again, like it 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 brings like like, then it brings into the question, like, okay, who gave the powers that be this name? Like, was it themselves? <laughs> you know, like, like are they, you know, is this sort of a, a, a you know, a, a self-aggrandizing name? You know, whereas maybe they're not as all powerful as they would like to have others believe. Right. Um, especially if Cordy can just sort of ignore all of the things that right. they're trying to do to convince her to, you know go this other way and she ends up not doing it so right well and it's um, like even
1: after they've rewritten history for her when she changes her mind they go with it they don't say ah too late you already chose you know like they're kind of like oh okay like it seems like either they want her to be the one to decide or they have to let her be the one to decide um right well and and
0: yeah, right. And it does, it, like, so it becomes another, yeah, that question of do you, you know, are, are the, how powerful are the powers? Because, like, if Cordy makes a decision, can they even go against her? Right. Like, she can clearly go against what they want. Can they go against what she wants? Right. It's not entirely clear that they can. Right. Um, so.
1: Well, and in, you in know, none of these cases has the visions actually come from the, Powers, in terms of where it transferred, like both times that we see it, it's you know Doyle passing it to Cordy, you know, or alternately to Angel, yeah. and then later Angel back to Cordy, you know right. like that's what seems Which to be you, what that's that's what's implied how... by the what, the light right when they kiss again is that oh, right, the visions right, are transferring right. again. And so it's like, again, like, can the powers even give anyone the visions? Or does it have to be one person gives them to somebody else? And that's the only way that they can transfer. So if they want Cordy to do something, they have to talk her into it. They have to manipulate her. They can't just say, all right, no, you're done. This guy over here, he's going to take them now.
0: Right. It's like, yeah, right. It's it's that thing of where, like. The snake can convince Eve to take an apple, but he can't actually give it to her, kind of thing. Right. right? Like or I mean right. maybe that's maybe that's implying more evil on the powers that be than you know we should. But like right. like it is that thing of like, yeah, like you can do everything but actually make but the decision. Force someone for her. to do it, yeah. Right. Um so I I just, you know, as we were talking about like Cordy getting the visions from Doyle and and also, gaining the visions from Angel, I would I would bet there's some slash fic out there on how, how did Angel Doyle get them? Passed the the uh, the visions onto Angel. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not I won't get into any details, but I I would venture to guess that somebody has written that story. I'd be
1: disappointed if they hadn't. Um,
0: <laughs> um,
1: but no, and that that kind of did occur to me because again, and part of this is what you're saying of the writing might be just a little bit fuzzy in terms of. Like, I don't think I really understand, like, how or why vision transferring works, you know, because it's this sort of kind of one of those throwaway lines of, like, you know, why did, you know, oh, he was supposed to give him to Angel, but something happened. They didn't count on his feelings for you. And it's that kind of lame line where you're like, all right, okay, but what does that, like, mean? So, like, does that mean that, like, if you have visions and, like, if you love somebody, it's your love that transfers the visions, or can't like like is that a you know it seems to imply that it was a conscious choice that Doyle made, but then when angel gives the visions to Cordy, it's just kind of like it does it because she kisses him, and therefore the visions go like it's well, just kind of like I'm not sure or that is I, there
0: more of an implication
1: there, well. There might be an implication about the love. I don't know that there's. It's hard to argue that like Angel is intentionally like bestowing her with the visions in that moment. Right. Um,
0: No, I. But like, is it like? So is there? But is it possible the other way? Like it, and and I'm not even necessarily. She's taking
1: them on, I guess.
0: Right. I'm not necessarily even talking romantic love, but certainly. You know. I mean. I think we've talked about this before, like, I think at this point, Angel and Cordy have been together as crime-fighting partners more than Angel was, like, with the Scoobies, really. Right. I mean, I guess it was three seasons, so, like, almost the same amount of time. Yeah. Except that Cordy and Angel also overlapped, you know, with right. the Scoobies in Sunnydale, too. So, like, like there is a sense where, like like, they know each other better than, like, even really Angel and Buffy ever
1: did. You know what I mean? Right.
0: So not in the same way, but, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're talking love as a, you know, more of a, 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 you know, platonic or or agape sort of, you know, love or whatever, like there's there's definitely, you know, something more there than even uh, like, Cordy or Doyle had, you know, as right. as the beginnings of a romantic potential love. Right. You know. Right. So um and I think, you know, you could read into again. Like, so this is so much headcanon. Like I'm not even pretending that this is like what they're actually saying in the episode because mm-hmm. again, I feel like it's very muddled and you do kind of have to just draw your own conclusions. And so feel free to disagree or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like I do feel like there there is that implication that it kind of works both ways that like yes Doyle giving her the visions were was an act of love and and that but in the same by the same token her sort of taking mm-hmm. the visions from angel is kind of an act of love a maybe a different form of love but a different you know but an act of love kind of in the same way and right. and you know also acknowledging that I mean, kind of in a way, in that same act, acknowledging Doyle's love and accept... Because, like, by eschewing, uh, you know, the the visions, you know, based on what... I mean, she kind of makes her decision after what she hears Angel saying about her, that she's not strong enough and this and that. Right. And kind of in that, that as an act of, you know... uh getting rid of the visions is sort of eschewing whatever love Doyle was expressing by giving them to her. Mm -hmm. If in fact it was love that was, you know, was there, which is, you know, Skip kind of evades the question Mm -hmm. a bit and just sort of leaves it implied. But right. Anyway, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm jumping all around, which I feel like is kind of appropriate because I feel like this episode leaves a lot of stuff muddled so it's it's hard to kind of yeah get from point a to point b directly right um even though it's a fairly basic plot um Mm -hmm. but
1: sure um well i'm trying to think of what we didn't really cover yet um i mean i guess from angel's point of view you know you kind of get him from outside of of what's going on internally with Cordy. And I think, like, you know, you see some things from him that you mentioned that scene where he's trying to convince, you know, whatever spirits he's in touch with trying to get through to the powers that be to save Cordy, that, like, you know, he kind of overstates her weaknesses to to make a point about, you know, uh, you know, her not being sort of fit to carry. I mean, he kind of means physically more than anything else, but obviously it comes across as, you know, uh, him speaking against her character or whatever. Um, but you, you you, also get him, his uh, kind of threatening of Lorne, you know, of kind of physically intimidating him of, um, you know, I'm not asking and you kind of get something gets up and backs him into a corner and everything. Mm. So you kind of see, like, again, platonic or romantic or whatever, Angel's love for Cordy comes out, um, you know, and I wouldn't say it brings out the worst in him, but it all, it does bring out a kind of uh, un- more unattractive side of, like, you know, sure. in order to save her, he will do and say things that aren't necessarily in like that present him in the best most flattering light but she's important to him and you get the sense of how much he cares and like you know that those things are acts of love for him that he'll do anything to to save her um so
0: yeah no definitely um and I mean, that is, that is his role as champion, but also like this is, I think we see that this is like above and beyond, right? Like this is, right. I mean, almost, almost Darla level of going to the mat for her, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, you know, he, he put his life on the line for Darla too, mm-hmm. you know, and more than once. And this is... Right, kind of almost at the same level there. And again, like I'm not trying to imply anything by that, you know, because um, I like their relationship obviously is not the same. But uh, you know, just yeah, just another another way of looking at it. Um, yeah. There.
1: Um. So in the kind of so Corey hears this kind of. Misinterprets, she hears a snippet, misinterprets right, right. what she's hearing. Yeah,
0: it's it's the classic like let 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 me give you a glimpse of what's being said about you and uh, you know completely right. I, I'm sure intentionally on Skip's point, you know, because he's trying to get Cordia to do a specific thing. You know, it, it sort of intentionally lets her hear the bit that is most damaging to Angel's case. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh,
1: Right. That's going to get the reaction that he wants from her. Um, so yeah, so she does decide, screw this, you know, um, you know, dying and suffering for, you know, people who don't, you know, love or appreciate or understand her. So she goes and takes the bait and, you know, rewrites her history. Um, and so, yeah, you mentioned it. You said in the notes you have written Cordy as superstar, which I think is interesting because it kind of puts her. It it is reminiscent of Jonathan in a way of like mm-hmm. of kind of creating for yourself a world with, you know, this isn't just Cordy without the visions, and it's not even just Cordy without Angel and all of that com- that comes with it. It's it's her getting the dream that she always wanted. So she gets to be an actress, very rich, very famous, very celebrated. Um, You know, which is, like, interesting that they have the episode start with her giving her, like, prepared Oscar speech. You know, that kind of reminding you that this is the thing that Cordy always sort of thought that she would achieve one day. Um, Mm. And... So here they kind of have it, you know, served up on a platter for her. But as much as I do wish that the episode was sort of built around that a little bit more, um, I do think it's interesting that, like, it's not necessarily the most interesting to watch, but at least in theory, I do think it's interesting that instantly she starts investigating. Like, like you kind of get the idea of, like, her in the sitcom is, like, the first moment of her in that reality. And it's, like, the first thing she does is start talking about, I feel like I forgot something. What did I forget? I want to go over here. And she starts investigating into, like, the Hyperion. um, And maybe it's just because it all gets crammed into, like, the last ten minutes of the episode. But it's, like, right. she doesn't indulge herself in all of the, like, fantasy of I'm this – the, the – you know, queen of the universe stuff. She sort of... Sure. Which I think is a a difference between someone like like her and someone like Jonathan, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't get distracted by that. She instantly knows this isn't right. There's something else that I'm missing. Um, You know, this life uh, with Angel and her visions has become so central that she can't even properly have like an alternate reality in which that's not true. Like yeah. she instantly well, starts looking for it.
0: And it's, yeah, I think the interesting part too is that like, you know, they describe it as overriding history, not turning back history. So, so she right. doesn't actually go back in time. Right. And like, it's just sort of like, it's almost like, like the wallpaper itself is almost like a metaphor for what happened. Sure. And
1: right. Right. The reality is still buried underneath there. It's just been sort of smoothed over with a different past. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: And so, so the memories are still there. The, you know, you know, the underlying things that, you know, uh, that are going on are all still sort of there. And um yeah i mean i think I think part of that is not just it's not just the memories, but it's also like the fact that over the last three or whatever years her her desires have changed, her motivations have changed like we you know we've talked a number of times about how different Cordy is now from you know beginning of season one mm-hmm. you know to even even where, you know, early you know in the first season, like she was still making audition tapes and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, actually trying to uh, get interviews and you know get auditions and and get on TV and stuff, and like now that's the furthest thing from her mind. So when she's in the middle of that, you know, like she's in the middle of it, but but her de- her desires have changed. So what? skip really gave her wasn't cordy's desire now it was a a different cordy it was two years ago or three years ago cordy that you know they made all this stuff happen but that's not who she is now and i think that's you know it's not just the memories i mean we've we've talked before about like okay you you know your memories are a big part of what makes you who you are but i feel like this is not just memory, but that there's something that's actually changed about her desires and her her will that has, you know, that sort of drives her in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those memories are kind of there, but they're vague and they're, you know, they sort of have to go through and, and figure out what what's going on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah.
1: So, so she goes through all the investigation. She meets Wesley and Gunn, who uh Gunn is kind of the same, but you know Wesley's not. He's much more, you know, battle hardened and missing an arm, yeah. and he's doing all the like heavy he's not the he's not doing the book research, he's not even like the leader in the sense that he is in the primary reality of like the guy making the d- the decisions it's like he's like the action on the field leader um and goes out so, and you know slays uh you know depending on what yeah. angel says
0: um, um so and interestingly too so uh wesley says that his arm he lost his arm uh from a kungai demon that's the type of demon that he was chasing when he first came to LA. Like when they first meet him way back in season one. So like the implication is that like even even from that first interaction with Angel and Cordy, yeah. You know that there's a big, you know, effect, you know coming out of that.
1: Right. Um so yeah, I mean I think we talked about her, she takes on the visions, she uh, you know, remembers everything again and then you know, makes the you know, the brave sort of sacrificial decision, and you know, in that kind of courty, pragmatic way of like, you know, he talks about all the dangers involved, and she says, All right, so demonize me. You know, it's the kind of the decisions made, she's seen this alternate reality, it doesn't fit anymore. It's an old idea of mm-hmm. who she was, it's not her now. Um right. So she gets to get a bit of a upgrade um in her sort of biology. Um yeah. So yeah, they you know, she kind of has what seems to be another terrible vision but is really like a demonizing process. Um comes to she's fine and then you know, suddenly can start rattling off visions with no pain at all. And, you know, might levitate a little bit while she does it. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, kind of a, you know, I thought that was a pretty effective, a pretty effective ending of when you suddenly. That moment when you realize she's talking about a new vision and but she's talking about it clearly with no like not not only not no not only lacking the pain, but like being able to speak about it with clarity in a way that she couldn't before, like the kind of specificity of, I see a guy, he's wearing this, he's next to this. And there's that thing. Whereas before it was like bits and pieces and fragments that she could barely sort of piece together. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, not only is she healthier, but her ability to interpret the visions is, you know, increased.
0: Sure. Sure yeah and the two might go hand in hand like
1: right exactly in trying
0: in trying to interpret the visions she's remembering the pain of the vision itself, so it might even just right. the very act of like trying to explain what's going on is sort of bringing about you know secondary pain or whatever
1: right
0: um, yeah, and as far as the like okay, so demonize me, like when you think about all the different types of demons and what they look like and you know all that kind of stuff like there's you know the fact that she levitates now like that's actually a pretty pretty right like she kind of had had the pick of the litter on that yeah one, yeah you know
1: yeah uh, of all the side effects that's probably the you best know, it, yeah
0: she she could have had you know growths of some kind or you know her face might have got bumpy or you know who knows what could have happened mm-hmm. um but yeah, that, that turned out not to be too bad of a thing. I mean, as far as we know, I mean, we don't know if there are other side effects or, right. you know, things going on at this point. But yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, like with the powers that be, like like they do everything they possibly can to put her in the one direction. But, you know, again, it, it brings up that question of how how powerful are they? they? They weren't able to convince her to do what they wanted and so
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know that that isn't the last time we'll maybe have that question of you know how powerful are they and and who are they and what are they doing right and you know what, well and what why sort of their why is this
1: not the preferred thing like you know like what's right. wrong with Cordy being the one to have the visions, why is that not their ideal scenario? Um, What is it about Angel having them that seems... Because I definitely think we kind of agree that, like, they're not just offering Cordy a way out purely for her benefit. Like, there's some... They have a stake in this decision as well. Um, Right. So if it's not just about saving Cordy, then what is it? And, like, you know, what what does Cordy keeping the visions imply for whatever plans or whatever that the powers that be have in mind? Sure.
0: Great question. So um, I don't know if we'll get any of that next week, but we are going to be watching another angel episode. That's right. Because it's back to back this time around. Um, So yeah. So another angel episode for next week and we'll get, Get some more uh, more there, and, and we'll have some more BSG as well.
1: All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.